Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Betting Life Podcast brought to you by Fantasy Life. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. In this episode, the bigger picture episode, we're taking a step back on a transitional Tuesday morning, thinking about the week that was and the season that has been to this point. We are considering what all of that might mean for week five and more importantly, for the rest of the NFL season. And joining us is one of our friends from Unabated, a founder of Unabated, Rufus Peabody, who is not only one of the best sports bettors alive, and that's not hyperbole, but he's also an incredibly nuanced thinker about sports betting and probability and process and the resonance between decision-making and betting and sports and games and decision-making in life. So we are very lucky to have him on the show, and you can catch him on the Bet the Process podcast, which has been a favorite of mine for a long time. Rufus, thanks for joining us, and how's the season going for you? Thanks for having me. Um, I think what you said is a, is hyperbole, though, for sure. But uh, the season, I mean, it's been a slow start. I'll, I'll be honest. It's been a slow start to the season, um, especially with college football. But, um, you know, hoping to pick it up. Well, I mean, when you say slow start, that makes me feel a little bit better because it has been a horrendous start for me, uh, especially last week. And uh, I think there were some maybe process mistakes um that could factor into that but uh yeah it's it's been it's been an interesting year to uh to say the least now i want to start with the massey peabody power ratings which you developed after college with a former professor of yours Cade massey and you know reminder to everyone these are available for free at unabated everyone can get them a lot of people have power ratings and i think of massey peabody as the gold standard i'm you know, kind of wanting to pick your brain a little bit. What goes into them? What are the factors that you take into account? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure they're the gold standard anymore these days. Um, I think that, I think that with the evolution of of um, data and the player tracking stuff, um, a team based rating system is just it's very difficult to add very much value with that. Um, that said, I think there are things we do a very good job with, and that is uh, contextualizing performance. Um, so that means adjusting for the context, um, such as uh, strength of opponent, game situation, um, things like that, uh, home field, weather, and and um, looking at what is predictive versus uh, what is more random and sort of weighting the metrics by their predictive ability. So uh, we've, but this is year like 12, I think maybe now, I think that actually maybe even more. I think we started in 2010. So, so it's, it's been kind of, kind of a journey. Um, but you know, uh, we still, we still throw them out there and, uh, and we've been betting, uh, we've been doing a lot of our contest stuff, uh, myself and my betting partners using mostly the Massey Peabody stuff and, and actually have had a good start to the season with that. Okay. Well, so you mentioned there that these are, you know, team level power ratings and there's maybe only so far you can get do you have you identified a new gold standard if it's not massey peabody maybe there's a new power rating system that's out there that you think is better and maybe it's one that is more bottom-up focused on the players pulling that information together to create a maybe more holistic power rating but is is there some some other rating system out there that you think is better I mean, there's no other power rating system that I, I know of that I put more stock into. But again, I think the, the, the best systems out there are not going to be public. So, Right, of course. Um, how I'm assuming 
that the Massey Peabody Power Ratings have evolved over the years? What does that evolution look like? Um, they, they have evolved a little, although they haven't changed much, or at least we haven't changed much about our process in the last few years. But there was a time where we did uh, do a little bit of experimenting with some player stuff, but it ended up just being uh, a, lot, a lot more work for not that much gain. Um, I think clearly there's probably more gain to be had now with, with better data. But I think what, is, what has changed is how we've tried to handle quarterbacks. Uh, we've, we do have quarterback-specific ratings, and it, it's, it's tough, though. I mean, you have, you have small data problems um, in terms of looking at things. Um, it, well, I guess I'll, one example is the fact that we actually penalize a quarterback for um, being a backup quarterback. So that's something that, like, controlling for everything we know about the player, the quarterback, how well they've performed in the past, um, just knowing that they were replacing a injured starter, we expect them to be worse than if they were not. So there, there's things like that, that that I don't feel entirely comfortable um, with, but but at the same time, it does add uh, predictive power. And we are... Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I do like separating the team from the quarterback is just a really difficult thing to do uh, because so much of it is like scheme dependent. I mean, if you put Brock Purdy on the Bears, what is he, right? I mean, probably not Brock Purdy, you know, we don't know something closer to what we've seen out of uh, Justin Fields, except without the, uh, the scrambling ability. Yeah, it, it's it's really really hard to separate quarterback from from you know team skill from scheme. So yeah, well you know thinking about this, um, you know you mentioned Brock Purdy and scheme. It makes me think a little bit of you know Patrick Mahomes. There's you know sort of this perfect marriage that he's had you know now for over half a decade with Andy Reid, and given what we know out of those two, I feel like it's almost impossible for them not to be number one uh, or like the default number one in a lot of power ratings. Uh, But entering week four and maybe half of the power ratings I looked at across the industry, the Chiefs were not at the top. They weren't number top in Massey Peabody. Uh, They were 6.36 points above an average team on a neutral field. I had them at 6.5. You know, to me, it feels aggressive and kind of needlessly contrarian to have someone other than the Chiefs at number one. But what do you think about what we've seen out of the Chiefs so far? And, you know, what do you think of other power ratings that don't see them as the best team? Well, I don't think that they were, they're they're far and in a way the best team. I think that there's sort of a cluster of teams at the top this year. For example, I think we actually had Dallas as number one the week before that. Um, what's interesting with the Chiefs this year is that it hasn't been their offense that's that sort of led them. I mean, their offense is still the reason that they are the top-rated team, but it's been their defense exceeding expectations. We, we had them as the, the top team going into the season, but their offense has actually been worse than expected, But the, while their defense has improved its power rating by about, a, about 1.3 points since the beginning of the season. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you mentioned there the defense has really been the thing that has driven the Chiefs. And I'm wondering, you know, since last week and then since the season started, what are the teams that have really, you know, kind of moved uh, significantly one direction or the other, positively, negatively, 
in the mass EP of body power ratings? Well, positively, you had Miami. And, and I think some of the rating systems, I mean, I think ESPN's FPI had them as the best team in football go, um, going into week four with a power rating of like 10, just because they, they were so good against Denver. I mean, they scored 70 points and could have scored more. So, so they've risen a bunch, but let's see. We, we had them rise. We only had them rise a little over two points um, from week three to week four. Just because one game, no matter how good a team is, only really tells you so much. It's easier to fall quicker than it is to rise, though, um, just because of the quarterback situation. So, um, but I, that's that's only because of quarterback injury, um, for the record. But one team that's fallen a good amount is Cincinnati. Going into the season, we had them as the number three rated team at, at a plus four. They're now, uh, well, going into week five, or sorry, going into week four, they were a plus 0 0.3. Uh, which was, I believe, 15th ranked. And I think they're, I expect that they're going to drop um, pretty significantly and probably be a slightly below average team going into week five. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm there, you know. Uh, those, are, those are the teams that I've identified in, in my set that have uh, moved up uh, significantly. Uh, or, you know, the, rather, the... Um, the Dolphins have moved up significantly. The Bengals are the team that have dropped the furthest. And it's amazing because it's, and I'll say that, minus the Jets. Like the Jets is the obvious one of like, you know, no Aaron Rodgers, the drop off to Zach Wilson. Yeah, the Jets. And that is like very specifically and obviously a quarterback injury. With the Bengals, it also is a quarterback injury, but the quarterback is still playing. You know, like it's it's this weird kind of middle ground where if you look at different metrics joe burrows has been just in terms of performance one of the worst quarterbacks in the league through four games you know if you look at epa and, and uh completion percentage over expectation uh at uh, running backs don't matter he's number 34 out of 34 quarterbacks i mean it's it's kind of unreal so it's uh it feels on the one hand kind of like aggressive given everything we know about Joe Burrow and the Bengals to continue to move them down but you kind of have to because he's not really Joe Burrow like this this is not the version of Joe Burrow that we know and you know that's the problem with the rating system like this and the fact that that we know that he's playing hurt and when he's healthy again you expect him to be playing at a completely different level but it's hard to sort of the rating system doesn't know that exactly so I think we'll we'll definitely have the Bengals undervalued later in the year if Joe Burrow gets back to being uh, a healthy player. Well, do you think they're, I mean, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead to a little bit of like week five. Do you think they're undervalued now? You know, so, because uh, so Cardinals, I haven't finished running they've my, moved up a lot. Yeah. I haven't finished running my ratings this, this week yet, so I, I can't actually comment on that exactly, but. Yeah. Okay, so shooting from the hip, though. Okay. Like, you've got this dynamic of, at some point, there's going to be a buy-low spot on the Bengals. And as great as the Cardinals have been, it feels like the move from 7.5 in the look-ahead market last week to 3 right now is maybe too much. Like, I haven't, I haven't bet it yet. But this is one of the games that's just sort of 
standing out in my in my projections as one that uh, is signaling value for for the Bengals. But it's just a question of like, have I adjusted enough? Even though I feel like I've adjusted quite a bit on both teams, have I adjusted enough? And I think this is maybe like sort of like a process question. Like, how do you how do you evaluate situations like this? Well, I think part of it is the, the fact that, um, I mean, I, I was a little bit higher than the market on Arizona going into the season. I know there was this narrative that they weren't, they were trying to get the tank to get the number one pick. Um, Massey Pugh, I didn't really know that, didn't really buy into it. We had them as, um, as the worst team in football, but not by much of a, not by very large margin at all. And, and so we've, they haven't improved a ton, uh, ap, like absolutely in terms of points. I think we have them, we have them, uh, a little less than a point higher than when the season began. But in terms of the relative standing to other teams, they've improved a good amount just because you've had some, you know, the bad teams have been way worse than expected. So in terms of this spot, like I think um, not knowing the Burrow thing, I'm probably, you would, you know, that, that he is playing hurt. um, You would sort of expect that I would be a little bit low on Cincinnati there, but but the same token, I think people are sort of expecting Cincinnati to kind of bounce back, and and that that this version of Burrow we're seeing, even though, um, even though he's not 100, percent is worse than than what we expect going forward. So my numbers are probably going to be right around where the market is, though. So I'm probably not going to be playing that. All right. So you co-host the Bet the Process podcast with Jeff Ma, and whether it's you know like you thinking about like your golf swing or sports betting model or figuring out where you want to live, like anything. It seems like process is what you focus on most under the assumption that good process gives you a better chance of having good results. Like how do you decide when to evaluate your analytical process? Is it something you're always doing? Are you evaluating when you're losing? Like what are the signals that tell you, Hey, I need to examine what I'm doing. I mean, I think I, to some extent, I always am. The problem is there's certain points when I can't really do that much. So it's hard to change course midstream during a football season, for example. So the challenge is the fact to kind of store all these ideas I have and, and sort of thoughts about how to improve and, and kind of go back to them when I have time in the off season, which by the way, for golf can be very difficult because there really is no off season for golf. But I mean, I think, right. you, but I, I will say, um, I, I think failures have always motivated me to to really re-examine things, and I think that's been one of my strengths. Yes, uh, given how much I failed recently, I am super motivated. Uh, when do when do you? So when do you do an examination of your process? Like, where do you start? What are the things that you look at? So I wouldn't say it's like an examination. Just I don't know. I, a formal examination from, from top to bottom. I will say when, when, when I've discovered, I mean, I've, I've had bugs in my model that I've found, which through a careful examination of, of the code. So that's kind of something, but I, I would say when I look for those types of things, it's because something seems wonky. I'm like, this, this is out of whack. This doesn't make sense having this number here. Why do I have that? So, I mean, and even if there's not a bug in the code, I mean, I think, um, if I notice something or someone on my team notices something uh, that just doesn't seem right, like, like why, you know, 
why am I so off market on this particular golfer or on this particular team that can kind of motivate me to sort of dive deep and sort of see if there's something we're missing. If there's something I'm missing, then I can sort of explore that and, and hopefully build that into the, the whole, the whole process. That's interesting. So it, that makes me think of like the scientific method where, you know, like you kind of progress by failure to disprove something. And so in a situation where you might be thinking, why am I off market? The process would be kind of looking for the potential mistakes that you've maybe made or the thing that you might be missing, the th like the thing that's wrong yeah. in the process. And then if there's nothing that you've been able to find that's wrong, in a sense, that's maybe like all the more validation of you having some sort of signal there that is indicating, no, oh, this is actually a good bet and the market is wrong. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of framing it. And I think what's tough is that you, you want to show differences from the market. Otherwise, you have nothing to bet and you want those differences to be predictive. But if those differences are too big, um, there's probably something you're missing. Right. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> so the market is always changing, adapting. How do you adjust to the changes in the market in terms of what other betters and sports books allow to drive their evaluations, like the theoretical inputs that they might be waiting? Well, I mean, I think the, generally speaking, the market is always evolving and, and I have to continue to evolve and get better or I'm just going to be falling behind. And so for me, I mean, that's resulted in me kind of cutting out some of the sports I'm doing and focusing more on sports that. Uh, specializing in sports that I do well to make sure I keep doing doing well in those. And, and honestly, football has been something I have not focused on as much. I still do some football stuff, but not to the same extent that I, that I did in the past um, because I'm focusing more on on, on golf and, and college basketball. So I think it's, I don't know if that answers your question at all, but. It's interesting. You, so you're focusing most on golf and college basketball. And what stands out to me about those two sports most is that there's this really wide field, like a sort of like large attack surface where it might be harder for the books to be able to evaluate properly all how, you know, hundreds of these, of these golfers. Um, and so that if you could actually have a system that you know, is automated and does evaluate all of those, those entities appropriately, you could have a much bigger edge than if you, you know, just were evaluating 32 NFL teams. Although 32 NFL teams are comprised of hundreds of players. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I think golf is just a smaller market though. There's, there's not as much data readily available to people, although that's changed over the years and will continue to change, unfortunately. Um, is the, the more smart people that have really good data, um, the smarter, the sharper the market gets. So I, I, I do think golf is a, a much sharper market than it was even four years ago, but I still like continue to find edges. They're just not as large as they used to be, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned earlier, I'm in the middle uh, of a biblically 
bad slump, hopefully near the end of it, but uh, maybe I'm more in the middle of it. Uh, by the way, if anyone wants to check out our free fantasy life bet tracker, you can go in there, you can see what I'm betting and just bet the opposite of that. Maybe you will make yourself some money. So there's like process as an analyst and then there's process as a human. And for me, winning makes me feel almost nothing at this point. And even losing doesn't really feel all that terrible because I've sort of numbed myself to most of the emotion of betting, investing, et cetera. But I still feel the losses more than I feel the wins. And I think a lot of like long time and you know probably profitable sports bettors are in that mold. Like, what do you do to manage the emotional process of betting? It's tough. And and can I ask you a question, Matt? Um, when you yeah. said you've sort of numbed yourself overall, is that is that hard in terms of separating your professional life from your personal life? Because if I mean, I feel like that's kind of a danger with yeah doing something like this and. Yeah, I mean, probably like I am a pretty like even killed unemotional person anyway. Um, and so maybe it's a little bit of my my kind of personal life and like personality informing how it is professionally that I respond to, you know, things happening at work, sports betting, stuff like that. Um, I think that is maybe more the the flow, but it has probably moved a little towards the personal life as well to where it's like mutually kind of reinforcing. That's a, that's a great answer. For, for me, I'll say yeah. that I, I guess my identity isn't is tied up in, in having in being successful betting is it is it used to be for sure. I mean, that was like five, 10 years ago, that was, you know, if I wasn't a sports better, who was I? And so that's easier. But at the same time, I still like if I'm on a bad run, I'm like, I kind of feel bad spending a lot of money, for example. Um, so, so, so it, it still does affect you to some extent for sure. And, and I think I try to acknowledge if it does affect me not, not kind of run from the feelings, but just be like, okay, this loss has me feeling bad. And then once you do that, it kind of is easier to kind of get past. I think that's a good answer because, and I, I would say like, I numb is maybe, is maybe the wrong word. But it's sort of like this acknowledgement of like, yeah, that that doesn't feel good. And then just moving on, you know, it's like like sort of a short term pain instead of like something that lingers and and sits with me. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's right. that's a, that's a, a great way to handle it. All right. So uh, at Unabated, you guys have a number of tools, uh, the simulator in particular. I think is a really valuable tool and it uh, allows users to leverage power ratings, whether that's Massey Peabody, some other set. Uh, I have a set of power ratings in which I could, you know, go in there uh, and just use those power ratings specifically to simulate out 10,000 seasons. And then the results of those simulations can be compared to the betting market. So last night I did a simulation using the Massey Peabody power ratings you know, from last week, not updated yet, but I feel like they're still going to be fairly representative of what these teams are right now. And I want your thoughts on some of the results from those simulations. And so these are some of the bets that are showing value per the simulation for the Super Bowl. Odds to win the Super Bowl. Bills were showing value at plus 800. Cowboys, 11 to 1. Dolphins, 13 to 1. Ravens, 16 to 1. 
Seahawks 55 to 1, Ravens 80 to 1, and then your commanders at 125 to 1. We're showing some value based on the results of the simulation. Which of those stands out to you the most as the one that you would, if you were to be betting anything, looking to betting something, which one might offer the most value? To me, at least based on the Massey Peabody ratings right now, I would say the Rams at 80 to 1, just given the fact that I have the Rams as actually an above average team, which is, I know, yeah. a very contrarian opinion. But it'll be, I, I think the Dolphins, for example, um, I think people and systems kind of may have been quick to overreact a little bit to a, a very, very big week against Denver. And I also have this theory that that sort of the like boy genius coaches, well, actually this kind of goes against the Rams one, but, but the, the boy genius coaches, the, the like McVay um, or McDaniels, like the schemers, they have more success early in the season. Um, and then the, because they have new ideas that, and they, once they put stuff on film, you know, team, other teams ad, adapt, um, they learn, they copy. Um, and, and the relative advantage of their schemes is not as large later in the season. That's kind of, that's my completely non-quantitative theory. Okay. It's interesting that you say that because uh, I have noticed that McDaniel, uh, not McDaniel, sorry, uh, McVeigh against the spread historically crushes in weeks one and two. And then after that, he's basically been break even. Uh, and I do think that that is kind of like some signal of, yeah, he's like really good at scheming ideas in the off season, implementing those ideas to open the season. And then the league adapts a little bit to what he's doing and he's not as dynamic. And the so Dolphins, the Dolphins started is, five and zero last intriguing. year. Yeah. Remember that? And then they what lost five yeah. in a row after that. So, I mean, I, I'll tell you this, this theory kind of comes from that though. So Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, that that's fair. So I will say, um, I'm very interested as a sports better in like the range of outcomes, you know, uh, especially like thinking in the futures market. And I was fairly high on the Rams entering the season, uh, just both kind of like in a vacuum of thinking about, okay, if you have a healthy Matthew Stafford, if you have an offensive line that it isn't totally depleted as it was in the regular season, you have an all-pro wide receiver in Cooper Cup. You have a top eight head coach, uh, an offensive head coach at that in Sean McVay. And you still have a future Hall of Famer on the defensive line in Aaron Donald. And then, okay, you have 10 other guys out there on defense, and they're probably not going to be good. But maybe because they've cycled so many bodies through there in training camp, they've at least been able to figure out, okay, this guy maybe fits the scheme. And if the defense can be not terrible, if it can just be sort of like respectably subpar, and if you have a top eight offense, like that's a team that can make the playoffs. Like, you know, like that is a team that could be solidly above average. So with that in mind, I was thinking like, if, if they could have that, then why can't they have like the, the high end range of outcome on that? Like if they're good enough to make the playoffs, they're probably good enough to push San Francisco within their own division. And if they're theoretically good enough to win the NFC West, 
like what's really keeping them from making the Super Bowl? Like if, you know, like thinking about how it would play out and like, I don't think it's going to play out in that way, but at 80 to one odds, like, yeah, like I, I think it's probably more like, I don't know, like 50, 50 to one or something like that. Yeah, I think the I think you your evaluation process there is is really solid in terms of thinking of range of outcomes, and I think a lot of us think uh, deterministically about things. I mean, just in I think that's as humans um, kind of we're not taught probabilistic thinking enough. Um, but you, I mean, range of outcomes is is hugely important, and and I think it's what the simulator for unabated does really well, and and there are teams where there's going to be more uncertainty than others potentially. Um, if you believe that you can adjust, you can crank that up or down. But I think the other thing we do really well is, is there are different sources of uncertainty for different teams. And for some teams, that's going to be uh, very quarterback dependent. Like if Kansas city loses Mahomes um, or, or Buffalo loses Josh Allen, that's a huge, huge blow. Whereas uh, other teams are probably less quarterback dependent. Um, if you have, for example, like, I mean, San Francisco last, last year, um, they went through multiple quarterbacks and, um, eventually they lost one too many quarterbacks, but, um, but they were a team that was not fragile to that. And so, um, there's difference. So being able to handle those different sources of variance, um, really does affect the range of outcomes for each team. So the updated win total market, you know, I think is always really intriguing. You know, years ago, this was just sort of like a, a stagnant market during the season. So it would, you know, it would move uh, in the off season, people would bet into it. And then when the season started, that market was closed. Now it gets updated, uh, you know, every week, which uh, I think is, is really fascinating. There are a few teams that stood out to me when I did the simulation where there were really large discrepancies between what I saw in the market and what was popping up uh, in all those 10,000 simulations. So I want to run through a couple of those teams here. We talked about Bengals. Under nine and a half. So, Massey Peabody, or the, the simulations. Go ahead. So I, I want to say that the Bengals win total is, um, I know you said uh, you were going to quote FanDuel's odds. They have taken that off the board. I think with okay the Bengals and the Jets, I think just with the uncertainty, they're not comfortable even putting a market in for that. Actually, no, there, there is a Jets market. But there's not a yeah. uh, not a Bengals market. All right. Well, let's pivot to the Jets there. So the number is uh, five and a half for the win total. The simulation had that at minus one ninety two odds to hit the over. Caesars has this at plus one ten. What are your thoughts on the Jets? I mean, that seems like to me a pretty big overreaction. I mean, clearly losing Aaron Rodgers, who I almost called Brett Favre. Uh, is a big blow and Zach Wilson has not been been great but but they do have a talented team overall so I, I I kind of agree with you there all right and then the Falcons under nine and a half well, and the simulations had that at minus 533 DraftKings wow. had that at minus 150 I mean under like I to me, I mean, I, I've been low on the Falcons. I was low on the Falcons going into the season. I think I literally had them ranked, let's see, fourth from worst in football. And now I have them third from worst. So I, I was I was not particularly high on Desmond Ritter. Um, I love that bet. Yeah, that's uh, 
yeah. I mean, that's that's prescient to be that low because there were people who were sort of high on the the upside, the theoretical upside of this team of like, oh, they're so different than every other team. They run out of all of these different formations, different personnel packages, uh, a lot of sort of like X type of players who can move all across the formation and play like a positionless style of offense. Uh, I mean, that's all nice in theory. Uh, but if you don't have a quarterback who can do anything, then it feels like none of that matters. And this team has scored like 13 points in the past two weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and they won. I'm, I'm interested. Week in one, December. they only scored 10 yeah. points. Or sorry, no, they they scored 24 and 24 or 24 and 25 weeks one and two. So not, I mean, better than single digits, but not completely prodigious. Yeah. Yep. And they've played right, a pretty so, weak schedule so far. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, yeah, like it's a soft schedule. The Panthers and Bryce Young's first ever start. Um, the Packers, who I'm not particularly high on. Lions are a good team. The Jack, I mean, but you haven't played any of the real good teams yet. Yeah. All right. Falcons under nine and a half. That, uh, that is intriguing to me. So you are in the Circa Millions contest. I believe that this is the first time you have been in a picks contest. You mentioned earlier that uh, that has been going well for you using the Massey Peabody projections. Uh, can you talk about it a little bit? How How is it going? Well, it's been going well, but not well enough. I mean, we had one entry that was eight, one and one through two weeks, and then it went two and two, two and wait, it went, well, we have an entry that's now 10, four and one, I guess, or, or was going into this past week and it went, um, let's see, we had Seahawks, Chargers, Jets, Cardinals, Dolphins. So, um, three and two. So what, what's that 15 and six, but the thing is, that's not, I mean, that's, you, you have to run like God in these contests. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it, I mean, so overall, I think our, our win rate is well over 60%, um, among our entries or, or maybe right at low 60% now, but it's the, it's interesting to try to assess how like the game theory of it and and how much like getting getting sort of the stale numbers matters and how many other people are going to be kind of going for that and so i kind of try to look each week and see um what in essence try to figure out how much other people are doing that because i want to when when possible zig when other people zag even this early in the season but it's, yeah. I mean, the game theory clearly isn't nearly as important as it is in something like a survivor contest. So I'm learning, yeah. I'm learning from this experience. It's, it's actually been a lot of fun. Let's talk about, and, and I, I love this. Like it is, uh, it's, it's mentally stimulating. And I think it is probably at this point, like my preferred way of, of betting, uh, and, and kind of like handicapping games, but there are a few things that need to be balanced and I want to get your thoughts on it. Like, how do you balance on the one hand, you know, trying to be correct, you know, like your projections slash expectations for the games. So there's that component balancing that with the desire to get value versus the contest lines and then balancing that with the desire in theory to make contrarian picks or picks that are underrepresented in the field. How do you balance all of those things? I flip a coin, basically. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's tough. Um, I I I mean, I don't think. I mean, it's the NFL. We're 
we're uh, the peak deadlines, I think 4 PM Pacific on Saturdays. So the market is, is, is pretty damn efficient then. And so I don't think that there's going to be huge, huge differences in expectation. Um, just like, I mean, maybe there are people that can absolutely crush NFL, um, later in the week, but I don't think I'm one of those people. And so I'm going to try to take the, I'm, if, if I have a game where sort of my numbers lean towards that or my numbers like that side and the, I can get a few percent in terms of line move value, just based on the contest line being posted, I believe Wednesday or Thursday and or picks, we can put them in on Saturday, then, then that's an added bonus. But occasionally, occasionally I do want to throw in some contrarian stuff. And I think I'm trying to be more contrarian on the entries that are not doing as hot. So that are more middle of the pack to, to try to give myself a chance to sort of leverage there. That's interesting. So I have just one entry, one contest. It's at DraftKings. I'm 16 and four. Uh, so in a good Damn. spot so far, and I've relied heavily I've relied heavily on the unabated contest tool, which uh, I think is the most useful picks tool I've seen. The only way it could be more useful, and this would be really hard, I think, is to incorporate something that has to do with projecting pick rate, you know, like projecting what we would expect the the rate of, you know, uh, lineup representation to be for any given side. Do you have thoughts on if you were to try to do something like that, how you would look to build that into a tool. Matt, that's a fantastic idea. And actually, I think you inspired me to try to look into that. And I, I'll see if, if our engineers have the capacity. But, but on the data science side, I think it would be a fun, a fun little thing. I just, we just need to get some data from the past. And I mean, I've basically been doing something similar myself personally for Survivor. I've been simulating out, mm -hmm. um, or not simulating out, but I've been projecting um, pick percentage based on what's already happened in the Circa Millions or Circa Survivor contest. And it's actually been, mm -hmm. it, it's the, the, the previous weeks have, have predicted future weeks pretty damn well. Like this week I projected San Francisco to be at like 51% and which I was like, there's no way it's going to be that high. Just based on the fact that, uh, you know, the money line for the game and their, their team strength and, so in essence, future value, and, and they ended up being owned at 40%. And so I was very happy to have no San Francisco there, um, despite the fact that they won, um, I was well positioned. And so I do think we could do something like that. I do think it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I do think it'll vary based on contest. So I noticed that sites like, um, I mean, you could see like ESPN and Yahoo's like uh, survivor pick percentages. I don't know if there's a projections or what actually like actual entries from people, but I mean, I think in a high stakes thing, it's going to be very different. And cause th those were much mm -hmm. more clustered and looked nothing like what I projected for the circus survivor. And it ended up nothing like what Cir circus survivor was, but so, so I don't know how yeah. you would incorporate that part of it in there, but I do think it would be fun. Um, and I think it's something we could do with that data. Yeah. It makes me think very much of uh, DFS, where it is easier, at least in my opinion, easier to project ownership rates across the field than it is to project how certain players will actually perform. 
And so the, the true leverage points might actually end up being uh, based on, on ownership uh, versus really anything else, any, you know, like read that we might have, because it would be, I would say like, even in the, the DraftKings contest that I'm in, it's not all that hard to predict how some of the field is going to go. You know, like people are not going to want to invest in the double digit underdog even though the line is basically balancing of like, hey, there's a 50% chance of this happening, 50% chance of that happening, the the rate at which people are investing in those teams will not be anything close to even. So I, I think there is significant edge there. And it just, it feels very DFS-like to me. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, in, in, the, in the circuit contest, I don't think it's been, it, it it seemed that people are taking more games that are uh, closer to pick. Those are the more popular ones. Um, and I haven't sort of seen this big bias against the big underdogs, um, but at least I'm, I'm looking right now at last week's. I mean, but it does seem like people do take the favorites more there. And so uh, again, I, I would think that it's going to very much depend on how sharp um, the field is overall that baseline level. And so right. The the, yeah. the more you're right, the, the square it is, I think the more that bias is going to be there. Right. I would expect uh, the DraftKings uh, investment patterns to be a little less sharp a different. than the Circa. Yeah, the, yeah. the Circa <laughs> investment patterns. All right. So, you know, this is an amorphous question, but, you know, the future of sports betting, what do you think that looks like a little bit? Are there big picture trends that you've noticed that you think warrant some sort of discussion? Well, I think the big picture trend is towards the sort of micro betting, like live micro betting, betting on, you know, each pitch. And I think it's turning sports betting into, into slot machines. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a good trend um, in terms of, of um, in terms of sort of problem gambling stuff. I think it's going to be pretty problematic. But I think that's kind of the way things are going. And if you look at sort of the generation coming up, they are very much into sort of the immediate gratification stuff like I mean, TikTok um, and you know, watching a full game is, is a lot, right? I mean, and so being able to bet on like what's happening right now and getting that feedback is, I think, what they're probably going to want. And I don't think it's a good thing, but I think that's kind of one direction that, that sports betting is headed. I definitely hear that, uh, you know, live in game betting is becoming increasingly popular. Um, and same game parlays also very popular. And, uh, for the most part, you know, negative EV. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the books can, can shade, uh, you know, things however they want, but I do think, you know, as a, a content creator, uh, it will be increasingly important to try to like work within the realm of like what people are interested in betting and like what they're looking at while still highlighting the few areas where there might be edges. Yeah. I mean, I think the same game parlays are incredibly difficult for the books to price. And so they have to ratchet up the hold and it ends up, you know, it, it, the hold ends up being like ridiculous, but uh, but if they don't, they're going to leave themselves open and vulnerable in a lot of areas. And by the way, I still do think that there are lots of vulnerabilities with, with SGPs because you have mm -hmm. something that is built, you have these algorithms that are, that are 
looking at these correlations between these things um, in sort of a sort of more generic context. And there's specific yes. teams that that'll have, you know, where maybe this their wide receiver one and wide receiver two usage is going to be more or less correlated than than other teams. And so, I mean, but the thing is, just given the hold, you need to find some. Um, you, well, it, it, actually, if you if you go with a fewer legs on the parlay, then you don't need nearly as much. Um, then it's a lot easier to find those edges, to be honest. But um, mm-hmm. I think on the content side, I do think they are interesting. Uh, just like, just, I mean, because I think that it, they are, I guess what is interesting is the fact that you are looking for sort of exceptions to the rule. And so mm-hmm. you, in, in kind of creating narratives around that. And so um, one thing actually that I'm interested in, in attacking and, and building for Unabated is a sort of tool to sort of help people with that. Like not to not to price the the parlays, but to kind of help them sort of ask these like find answers to these questions like they have this theory that this team does this like can they can actually take a look at that and see and and sort of see how uh and and we could sort of show how these things are normally correlated and so you could sort of see that okay there is maybe some alpha here with this particular team because they're an exception to this general rule Hmm. yeah i mean the i mean there are assumptions that go into every projection that you make but um and so i guess with those assumptions you're sort of telling a story but i feel like you're really telling a story when you start getting into single game parlays and so from a like the content creation perspective that can at least maybe help in some way because it's like here's the story of how i see all of these things happening together in the game uh so you know from a content creation perspective that could be intriguing. You know, thinking about week five here, I know I asked you earlier about the uh, the Bengals hosting, uh, no, sorry, Bengals on the road uh, with the Cardinals. You know, kind of shooting from the hip. I know you don't have the the ratings done yet, but are there any potential early lines that have caught your attention? Something that stands out is like, you know, I'm like when I run the ratings, I'm going to be looking at that a little bit more. So I, I would guess it's generally going to be the same teams that I've been high on that are the ones that I'm going to at least sort of that I'm probably going to show some value on. But again, I mean, that that's that's one thing that's interesting, though. Like if, if I'm consistently high on a team and I'm maybe a little less high on them or, or I'm on market or if even I show a small edge against them um, in the past, like. For example, the Chargers game this past week was was a great example of that I took the I took Chargers in the contest. I'd been very low on the Chargers, and and actually, um, I know they have the injuries, um, and you had I expected Jimmy G to be out, and so I actually almost showed a bit of an edge on the Chargers there, and in, in a team that I really hated. So like those are that's kind of what I'm looking for. I haven't actually gone through and looked yet, but I mean, like if I could find a team where I um, yeah, a situation where there's a team that I've been higher on that I'm not quite as high on. Um, that I'll, I'll be, I guess I would be more likely to take a, a smaller edge there. But mm-hmm. generally, you're going to see some sort of commonalities from week to week. So, you know, I probably will like the Rams plus four and a half. Um, and then also, I'm probably, I, I, I feel like I am a little bit biased towards underdogs. Um, so, that Giants line, it'll be interesting to see where I where I make that right now. I guess going into the week, actually going into the week, I would have had it um, at ten points on a neutral field. So 
so that that actually that that actually does not look like a game that I would that I would really find much of an edge in. But mm-hmm. la- it, like last week, I didn't really show any game. I had like no games where I had more than a, a, a two point difference from or, or two and a half point difference from the line. Whereas the week before, I had a bunch. So it'll I, I'm interested to sort of see um, where that if that trend kind of continues, and I'm like right on market with with a lot of games, or if there are actually some that stand out. One game I do want to ask you about, uh, you mentioned backup quarterbacks and you know having a system that punishes them. And that makes me think of the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, who you know presumably looks like we'll be going with Mitchell Trubisky with Kenny Pickett injured. Uh, that look ahead number, I believe, was two and a half. Uh, Pittsburgh, a two and a half point underdog. Now that number has bumped up to four, four and a half. And so... Uh, you know, there's an adjustment in the market for, uh, you know, the drop off, the theoretical drop off from Kenny Pickett to Mitchell Trubisky, an adjustment in the market based on what we've seen out of Baltimore recently, an adjustment in the market based on how lifeless that Steelers offense has looked. That said, it all feels like a little bit too much adjusting. And, you know, to kind of get, you know, hashtag trends here, like this is the Mike Tomlin spot. You know, like the Steelers as underdogs, the Steelers at home, the Steelers in division, like this is a spot where historically they have tended to outperform expectations. Uh, And I mean, it's hard to say why other than the fact that like this is the spot where Mike Tomlin gets his guys up, you know, like they just they they always seem to play in a divisional game. um, You know, teams just seem to play each other tighter anyway. Would you have any early thoughts on this game it, it does certainly feel that way in terms of mike tomlin steelers teams so going into the week i had the ravens is five and a half points better than the steelers on a neutral field which would basically sh- say that maybe i show not a smidge of value uh, on the ravens given that home field advantage is going to be smaller in divisional games um hmm. that said i mean and then the Ravens obviously played quite well and the Steelers didn't. So I, I, I don't see myself being on the Steelers. I do think that there isn't really much of a drop off to Mitch Trubisky. In fact, if, if, uh, I mean, I, I, you could argue that Trubisky would actually be, even though he's not the future of the franchise, like in a win now game, the, the quarterback you actually wanted, um, or at least that's what I argued last year. And I don't think Pickett has done that much to sort of show that he's the future. So uh, I, you know, I assume my numbers are going to like lean towards the Ravens, but probably not enough for it to be a bet. Mm-hmm. All right. So bold predictions. Uh, I tend to be terrible at making bold predictions. Uh, I, you know, think about what's likely in general, and then it's hard for me to move away from that. Uh, and then when I do make bold predictions, it's something, you know, outlandish like uh, Rams to make the Super Bowl or a kicker to win Super Bowl MVP. Uh, so like it's it's probably wrong of me to ask someone to make a bold prediction. But if you had to do it, like what is something bold or, you know, unexpected that you think has a reasonable chance of happening over the remainder of the season? So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't make bold predictions. That, that's my thing. But uh, <laughs> can, can I can I make a bold prediction for baseball? Yes. It's completely non-quantitative and completely 100% my, my fandom. Orioles are going to win the World Series. Uh, the Orioles, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Radish, Grayson Rodriguez, Gunner. It's all happening. All right. Well, you used to be 
I feel like really into baseball betting and then it seems like you don't do it anymore or you, you don't do it as much. I don't do it at all. Um, but is, yeah. And so so is there something is quantitative? This is, this is just, this is just being a homer. You're just betting on your team versus I have something numerical that makes me think this is a sharp play. Correct. But I, I do, I, I do believe the organization, the whole, I, I do believe in what the Orioles organization is doing in their process. And they have a great, a great uh, front office and, and, you know, Sigma Idol, the assistant GM is someone I know and, and communicate with semi-regularly at least. And, and it's, it's interesting. I just love the process that they're using of building that organization and they're sort of maximizing the probability of, of success, uh, not just for the short term, but more for the long term and building an organization that I think can be sustainably competitive sort of in the model of like the Rays. Yeah. But I, I don't think so, baseball uh, anymore. I quit in 2020. I was, I was getting ready for the season then, or I was putting off getting ready for the season. Then the pandemic hit and I said, okay, who knows when baseball is going to be back. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to, I'm going to take the season off. Like it gave me an excuse and I felt so, it felt so, freeing to, to, to not be having to deal with baseball and to not have that grind every single day for six months, which is, or not, I, I generally kind of curtail things around the all-star break, but, but for at least three months plus it's, it's a, it's a grind. And, you know, the market is, has gotten a lot more efficient. Um, I, I've always tended to do really well in even numbered years. I know that sounds really weird, but it's it's one of those weird anomalies, and so the fact that I gave it up in an even numbered year says a lot. Um, and so I, after that, I was just like I didn't miss it at all, and and I was like, you know, I I could I could put a lot of effort in getting ready for the next season, but I just was like, no, let's let's. Uh, I, I had a, a lot of other things I was working on, so it, it got thrown to the curb. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I mean it. It sounds like a plus EV life choice. That's what it was. You know? Yeah. All right. So at Unabated, you guys have a great team. Uh, we do the pod here on Wednesdays with Peter Jennings. Each week, there's a contribution in the Betting Life newsletter, uh, which is free, by the way, contribution from Unabated writers. And I love the recent piece on using Madden ratings as a tool and building a bottom-up model. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with Peter, as well as Dan Fabrizio, Bill Monaghetti, Matt Snyder and Tom Viola previously. So first class team, good people. What are some of the things that you guys are working on at unabated? Anything you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I think right now we're, we're working on having a top notch odd screen and there's a lot, a lot of work that goes into that. I mean, the engineers behind the scenes are doing, doing so, so much. I think in the future, um, there's a, there's a lot of products. I kind of teased this idea for the SGP product, which is going to take a lot of development, but it's something that that I kind of feel like would be really, really interesting. Um, so, so there's, there's definitely things in the pipeline. Um, but it's, you know, I, I, I couldn't be happier with, uh, with, with what we're doing. Awesome. All right, Rufus, thank you so much for taking the time to talk and you have yourself a fantastic week five. Thanks you too. Good luck. And I hope you, you, you bust out of that slump. All right. Thank you. That is going to do it. For this episode of the Betting Life Podcast brought to you by Fantasy Life, please subscribe to the show. Tell your degenerate betting friends. Join the Discord. See all of our bets in the free Fantasy Life Bet Tracker. And follow us on social media at Rufus Peabody and Matt F. The Oracle. Thank you and see you again next episode.